as this world is getting darker and darker, how much more do we need prayer? How important is that? We're seeing this in ministry. I serve with a ministry called Child Evangelism Fellowship, and we're seeing this. We're seeing such a great need for prayer to, to open doors. And now, the ministry that is happening globally with our ministry of, uh, to taking the gospel to children, to, to uh, evangelize children the gospel, disciple them the word of God, and plug them into the local church for Christian living, that's our mission in CEF. But we're seeing it. It's getting harder and harder. We're facing more and more opposition, especially here in the United States. Our eyes are being opened to the opposition. God has opened the doors in closed countries like you would not believe uh, for us to be have an established work in every country in the world except for North Korea. That's the last country we have left to have an established work to, uh, for ministry to children and child evangelism fellowship. One more country to go. And the way that it is, it is growing, God is growing this work across uh, the Middle East region. It's just been, we just cannot believe what he is doing. Just this last a week and a half ago, actually, our president of CEF, Reese Kaufman, shared with our, with our USA team at our national conference. And he had just got the report in of how many children we reached with the gospel in this last ministry year. And he said, would you believe what God is doing? This last ministry year, we were able to share the gospel personally, face-to-face, -face, with over 25 million children in the ministry of CEF in one year. And it's sweeping into the lands where it does not make sense. Pastor Sam was praying for Syria. We have missionaries in Syria who, who have been just embattled. I mean, there was a, a Syrian missionary who came to the Middle East conference this last year, and she had just been released from the hospital because a bomb had gone off across the street uh, from her office building, and, and she had been, you know, blown across the room and got out of the hospital just in time to come to this you know, Middle East conference, and the, the Middle East regional director said, are you sure you are safe? And her response was, I'm not leaving until the last child leaves Syria. And she comes with this heart of prayer. And so we're facing dark times. We're facing all these challenges in this world. But, but look what God is doing when we pray. Look at what God is doing when we open up our hearts and we cry out to him. So graduates, this is a time where we, we look at this dark, the, the world getting darker and darker and harder and harder. We look at this and we say, you know, go get them. Ha, ha, ha. And well, meanwhile, we have a lump in our throat saying, yikes, uh, this is a harder world than it was 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whenever. But let me say this to you. As you prepare for the next step in life, if you are prayed up, what is there to fear? What is there to fear? Jesus says, in this world, you will face trials and tribulations. It's coming. You've got to prepare for this. But take heart. Have courage, because I have overcome the world. How can we have peace in this dark world? We have peace all because of who he is and what he has done. And that's what prayer is about. It's about acknowledging who he is and what he has done. And the peace that comes from that. This morning, I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 62. We're going to look at prayer as the basis for our transformational relationship with God. And we're going to see the example from David of what that truly looked like in his life and what this meant and why he was able to cry out with such confidence. 
Psalm 62. Let's pray about this before we dive in. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much for who you are and who you've called us to be in you. Thank you so much that no matter what this dark world throws at us, we can face with confidence because we know that you hold us in your, in your mighty hand. We know what you have done that you may call us your children. And we know that you have, what you have done in giving us your spirit to, to, to seal us for the day of redemption, to hold us and to guide us. We know what you have done, Lord, in giving us your word and speaking to our hearts through the power of your spirit, that we may be shaped to look more like Christ more and more every single day, Lord. But Lord, please, may we, may we so earnestly seek your face. May we so earnestly seek connection with you. Lord, may prayer be so much more than just, just something that we do before a meal or something we do toward the beginning of service because that's what we do when we finish singing or, or, or before a speaker comes or whatever. Lord, may prayer just be what we breathe out in every moment, acknowledging who you are, crying out to you, and praising you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. May your word be just so real. May these words from, from, from your scriptures jump off the page and through our minds and penetrate hard hearts so that we have no choice but for this to be absolutely real in our lives. Thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. David says in Psalm 62, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. We should put that on a graduation card, shouldn't we? <laughs> okay, sorry. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering stone fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul. For my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my glory depend on God. My strong rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Now let's talk about prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is not simply just folding your hands, bowing, bowing your head, and uttering specific words. No, prayer is really connection with God, isn't it? And what is the kind of prayer that God wants, desires for us? God's desire for us is to cry out to him, to acknowledge him, as David has says, I am at rest in God alone. Prayer is the basis for our transformational relationship with God. You think about what we get because of that relationship with God. This transformational relationship is being transformed from death to life. We were created to worship God in a beautiful relationship. The relationship God is calling us to is to be based on authentic connection. Now, you think about in, in Genesis, you see the relationship between God and man before the fall. What was it? At the cool of the evening, there was that sweet fellowship. There's that sweet connection. And that is what God desires for us still and that is what he is why he has done what he has done so that we can be reconciled our reconciled relationship with god begins with that sweet connection with that earnest with that desiring connection with him about our need for him 
crying out to him because God is our way. God is our truth, and he is our life. I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Let us remember, when we talk about crying out to God, because Jesus is our way, our truth, and our life, let us remember we don't have to get cleaned up before we cry out to him. Have you ever talked to somebody about attending church and they're like, ah, I don't know, I kind of got to get cleaned up there before. I, 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 don't, I really don't, I'm not that good. I, I, you know, and you think about that statement. I am not good enough to come to church. Hmm. Is, are any of us good enough on our own strength for God? Are any of us? No. Not even close. Even our, our most righteous acts are as filthy rags if we're going to depend on being cleaned up and being good enough. Sadly, people have that. They need, I need to get right with God before I can come to church or turn my life over to Him. We will never be good enough on our own. But God, in His rich mercies, is calling us to Himself. In fact, while, even while we were still His enemies, while we were yet sinners, He gave His Son for us all. And I, I cannot just assume that just because you show up in this place that you are, have already come to that, that saving knowledge of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you, have, if you have not come to that place of crying out to him as your way, your truth in your life, don't think that you have to clean up your life before you cry out to him. Today is the day of salvation. But if you have come to that place of crying out to him that you may be saved, remember it. Please, just remember that moment you cried out to him every single time you pray. Remember what you came from, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to this worldly age. According to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And by nature, we were children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he has had, had for us, made us alive with the Messiah. Even though we were dead in trespasses, by grace, you are saved. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Remember who we were and remember who we are now. Remember that what we've been given as his children. We have been given peace. Peace is the result of this transformational relationship, being transformed from orphans to the child of the king. Peace that comes because we are doing that for which we have been called, that for which we have been created. And peace that comes because we are under the sovereign protection of the Most High. I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Turn over to the next psalm, Psalm 63. You see what David writes here? He says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. 
My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will praise you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When on the bed, I think of you. I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my help. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I will follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. Not only is prayer the basis for a connection or a relationship, but prayer is what transforms us more in the image of God. Transformed from being broken and weak to being complete and whole. What David is writing about here is seeking God every single day, thirsting for Him. And as we seek Him every single day in prayer, He promises to do a mighty work in our hearts to transform us in the image of Christ. Now, Romans 8, 28 is a, is a verse that is a lot of times thrown around when things are tough. To me personally, it's, it's a verse that when I came through the hardest tragedy of my life, a lot of people threw that verse at me. And I know they meant well, but I grew to hate it. Because Romans 8, Romans 8, 28 says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. And we can look at, we can look at, at, at life and, 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 and you know, when we're not facing trials, we might say, yeah, we can agree with that. But in the midst of a hard trial, if somebody were to say to you, in your darkest moment, well, it's all going to work out for good, you might be inclined to reach out and slap them or, or just struggle with it at least. It's a, it is a struggle. But, but let's look at what verse 29 says. Verse 29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. When we seek God daily, he promises to do a mighty work in our hearts to transform us to look more like Christ. And he's going to use everything. If we are seeking him and we are surrendering everything to him, as we go to Him in prayer, as we go into, to, to His Word, seeking Him, He's going to use not only His Word, but He's going to use all things in our life to shape us to look more like Christ. That's why prayer matters so much. That daily connection matters so much because God will use our prayer life to shape us to look more like Jesus. And so we don't have to get frustrated when we're facing trials and somebody says Romans 8, 28 to us. It's all going to work out for the good. No, it will work out for good, but a different kind of good. We're talking about God's definition of good. Because we think of good as easy, fine, happy, honky-dory, peachy, whatever. That's not God's definition of good. God's definition of good is perfection. That's His goodness. It's His perfection. When He created the world, it was perfect, right? And what did he call it at the end of the day? Good. It all works out for the good. Everything that happens in our life, if we are surrendered to him in prayer and we're earnestly seeking him, he will take those things in our lives and use those to shape us to look more like Jesus. That's why prayer is such a gift. It is such a gift because God uses it to transform us more in the image of Christ. And as we draw nearer to him, and James 4, 8 tells us, he will draw nearer to us. Truly, you look at the original language, he will become nearer to us because he's already there. The fruit of the Spirit is a blessed result that we see in Galatians 5. Um, Galatians, when we, we can look at the fruits of the Spirit and we can think these are just this list of things. This is, this is what all good Christians should be. Um, 
but, but truly, if we, if we recognize how the Spirit of God works in us and what, what that really means, the fruit of the Spirit is the blessed result of, our, of us really seeking God earnestly in His Word and in prayer. And we read Galatians, uh, let, well, let's look at this, Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. And what we see here, this is, this is a, an interesting list. And we could, we could go into this and say, well, if I'm going to have the fruit of the Spirit, I need to get better at, 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 at love. Ah, i got to work on that. Um, I can be better at joy, but it's cold outside. Um, I need to be better at peace, but my word, there's a lot of things to worry about. I need to be better at patience, but I don't have the time for that. I need to better, be better at kindness, but I'm surrounded by a bunch of jerks. I need to be better at goodness, but ah, that's tough too. Uh, faith. I don't know if that'll work. Uh, gentleness, ah, I'll get better at that. And, and self-control, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm okay at self-control. We can look at all these things in our list of the fruits of the Spirit, and, and we could say that's our checklist, but that's not the way it works. What we see here, the fruits of the Spirit, Spirit are the manifestation of God at work in our hearts. Do you know how we know that? Because we can look at the fruits of the Spirit, all these things listed, these are the attributes of Christ. That's Christ. If we look at Galatians 5, we see that this is, we could just replace the fruits of the Spirit with saying, Christ is. Christ is love. Christ is joy. Christ is peace. Christ is patience. Christ is kindness. Christ is goodness. Christ is faithfulness. Christ is gentleness. Christ is self-control. What are we looking for? We're looking for the fruits of the Spirit to show up in our lives as we look more and more like Christ. And that's what prayer can do for us if we are truly surrendered, if we are really seeking God earnestly, as we saw in Psalm 63. These things can become so real in our lives as Christ becomes so real through our lives. And our approach to the throne of God must be the same as David's is in Psalm 63. He sought the Lord with such a hunger and a thirst that, that, that nothing else, absolutely nothing else, would satisfy him. So we see that prayer transforms us in a relationship uh, it's a transformation basis for a transformational relationship with God being transformed from death to life. It's the basis for us being transformed in the image of God, being transformed from broken and weak to being complete and whole. But prayer is the transformational power behind our calling from God, first and foremost as individuals, but also as His church, being transformed from being complacent and irrelevant to being missional and growing. Now, let's think about this. What would this church look like if we were to really all come together and pray? Now, I'm not just talking about having a prayer program. Okay, well, let's come together for one prayer service. We all feel good about it. We leave, and yes, hey, go church. I'm talking about every single day, every single one of us, individually. If we were to say prayer is what we are going to be all about, the kind of prayer that we see there in Psalm 63 
The prayer that says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek for you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. What would that look like if we as a church were to be praying with that, 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 that same eagerness, that same passion, that same drive? What would that really mean in this place? Now, I am not knocking a prayer program. And I will tell you this. You will never walk away from a prayer meeting saying, well, that was a waste of time. Every prayer meeting I've ever been to in my entire life, I've come away from that saying, why did I wait so long? And if you have not had an opportunity to come to this church for a gathering when people pray, oh, do it. Come together. Do you know that before the, ser- the first service, every Sunday morning, there's a gathering in Pastor Kent's office of faithful prayer warriors, of people who come together and they pray about the needs of the church and they pray about the service. And it's just a handful. And I know that God works mightily. But I'm thinking, that shouldn't be in Pastor Ken's office. That should be in the gym. It should be that big of a group that we come together as a body of believers so hungry. Because the last time I checked, and I check often, life is tough. Life is hard. And what we're facing is difficult. We need the Lord, don't we? And we can get so caught up in the, in the, in the comforts and just routines of life. But what if we just stop to realize what we've come from, as we saw in Ephesians? And we see this hunger in David's life. And we see that, yes, he was known as a man after God's own heart, but he, is a, he was a failure in so many ways. He was just a person. He was just a human being. Each one of us could be seen as a person, a man or a woman after God's own heart. What if we were to pray with that kind of eagerness and passion? And what if we as a church were to be a gathering of individuals who each one, each individual had that same passion? What could that look like? Well, first of all, I really believe what needs to happen is we need to make prayer an immediate response. When we hear somebody has a need, should we wait until the end of the day? We're talking about this in the deacon board uh, meeting. I think we probably only... pray for, maybe there's like 15 or 20% of the things we say we're going to pray for. When we talk to somebody, say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then we forget. And then we see them a little while later, and what do we do? We feel guilty. Oh, oh, Lord, please bless the person. Hey, I was just praying for you. (laughs) Uh, No. What, What if instead we just said, no, we need to make our prayers immediate. When we see a need, let's stop and pray. Right there. It's not that we have to be in some sacred place to pray. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I think that's pretty sacred. That's pretty amazing. We can cry out to Him right wherever we're at. And we can go to Him with the eagerness, with the passion. What if we made prayer such a natural part of our conversations here at First Baptist that we felt that there was no other option when we conversed with somebody at church other than ending our time and talking with each other with prayer? What if just a standard question when we finished talking to somebody was, hey, how can I pray for you? Let's pray right now. What would that look like? But also making our prayers specific. Coming to God with the specific needs. Recounting those needs to show God, uh, show show people how how God is working in and through prayer. Meet it in specific. Friends, we can do this as a unified body. We can be a house of prayer. 
We can be a ministry that transcends the cultural changes that are happening so rapidly that we could never keep up. Now, we have some generational studies that are showing us some scary things right now. The generation that is graduating right now is the tail end of uh, what we would call our millennial generation. Following them is what we call Generation Z. And do you realize that culture is changing so rapidly that after Generation Z, they've already said they will not label another generation because it changes so rapidly, things, so they change so much that it's really hard to track that. And as this gener these generations change and they move more rapidly, sadly, we are facing darker and darker times. Now, that's when we say this, I say at the beginning, you know, to, for those who are graduating, th these are dark times. I'm serious. It is getting harder and harder for us to, to, to do ministry, to be the church. We're facing more and more opposition all the time. My word, did you see that? Have you seen the news in the last two weeks? Have you seen the level in, of incivility that we are facing? You talk about the giant lines in the sand. Praise God for what Alabama did, right? Praise God that the unborn will be protected in Alabama. But as that happens, there is opposition. And there's a storm on the horizon. And we're going to face darker times. But I'll tell you this much. The darker it gets, the lighter we can shine. Is that right? Amen? But only if we are praying. And so we can look at this and say the times are going to get darker. How can we as a church be relevant? Do we need flashy new programs? Do, do we need, do, do we need uh, the cutting edge this, the cutting edge that? Is that what we're looking for? A youth pastor friend of mine once said, whatever you do to draw them in, you have to keep doing in order to keep them in. In other words, if we're chasing the flashy program ideas, but neglecting prayer and the word of God, we're signing ourselves up for nothing more than a hamster wheel of new, idea, new ministry ideas that will eventually do nothing except probably bring the Savior back to start kicking tables over because we'll no longer be a house of prayer. We can have the flashiest ideas that if we don't have prayer, what good is it? But we could also have the plain Jane and be without prayer. And what good is that? It doesn't matter what we have when it comes to the ministry ideas or program ideas. We first and foremost must be about His Word and we must be about prayer. And if we are, we can be a caring church family. We can be living out James chapter 5. James chapter 5 is one of the most powerful passages about prayer. Uh, in verse 13, James says, Is anyone among, of you, among you suffering? Anybody? Anyone here suffering? Okay. okay. Uh, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful? Huh. He should sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? <coughs> yeah, we all are. He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. For three, three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. If we are a church family who prays, we can be lifting each other up 
by praising God through seeking his healing, seeking his strength, seeking his peace on behalf of, everyone, of each other. What if every Sunday, what if we were just that? What if we had a team of people here up at the front at the end of the service? What if we had a team of people who, who, who were here to pray for whomever needed it, which is all of us? And no matter where, what if we're, no matter where you went here at First Baptist, you saw people lifting each other up in prayer? In the coffee place, if you out in the, out in the foyer, uh, down the hallways, wherever. What if we saw people lifting each other up in prayer? Let me come back to the graduation. Will you join me in praying for our graduates? Lifting them up. We'll pray for Emily. We'll pray for the rest of our graduates. Lifting them up. Will you join me in praying for them? Let's just say, let's pray for them for the next 90 days. Because this world is stacked against them. But pray that their light will shine more brightly as the darkness comes. And for Emily and for all these other graduates, my prayer for you is that you would make authentic connections with God. Such a natural part of your life. A strong majority of young people leave the church once they move on from high school or college. Seriously, it's probably about two-thirds leave the church. My prayer is that our graduates here from First Baptist would not, would not add to that statistic, but instead they reverse it. Because God is calling you, graduate, he's calling you to know him more deeply, to grow to be more like Christ every day. So my prayer for you is that you would seek him earnestly every day. We're your sending church, and we're going to pray you forward in this journey. And church, can we take a 90-day challenge to pray? Not just for that, but pray that God would advance his kingdom uh, through us by his grace and for his glory making the most of every opportunity. Colossians 4, 2-6, Paul writes about this. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us, to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. What if we were to live this out? What if we as a church were to take a 90-day prayer challenge, making the most of every opportunity to take the message of Christ to, to a lost and hurting world? Can we commit to this season of prayer as a church body? I'll tell you this much. We could say we're going to do this corporately, but this has to be an individual thing. Every single one of us. The ministry that we do in this church is going to be out of the overflow of our hearts and out of the overflow of our individual prayer lives. But can we come together corporately as a church and can we pray these ministries forward? Praying for these graduates. But let's think about other things we could pray for. Just this month we had a car care clinic. Amazing stories of what God did through that, right? People coming to Christ. People who were in need coming. And, and opportunities for people to be the Lord's hands and feet. Now, we have another car care clinic plan for the fall. What if we start praying right now for that? Praying that God would draw people who need to know Jesus to this event and really work in our hearts so that we could pro project Christ and show His love in a powerful way. 
The stories that I hear is that when people come, they're a little bit nervous about stepping foot inside the church. And so there's, there, there, are, there are young kids who, who are like, hey, come on inside. And, and there's something amazing about children. They're very disarming. You know, they're just, let's use them, all right? So we're going to get people to come in because the kids are going to take them in. And the, the people are going to come in. They're going to see what this place is. This is a gathering of a bunch of broken people that by God's grace have been saved and know how much they need him. And we want people to see his love. So let's start praying now, but not just for one event. Oh, just saw a video here just minutes ago. Vacation Bible School. What if we were to say this summer's Vacation Bible School at First Baptist Church was the most prayed up Vacation Bible School in the history of the church? What if we prayed earnestly for the children? Now Nadine said this. She said there are kids who come to this church who are dropped off because it's like a babysitting service. And there are entire families connected to that kid. What a great ministry opportunity. They're coming to us. Let's pray for every last child in every household, every person in that household who is, who is represented when that, when that kid comes to this church. And let's pray that God would break down the walls, penetrate the hearts of these kids that they may know him and be saved and that entire families would come to know him. What if we prayed about that? What could God do? The women's ministry in this church, she ministries, look at what they're doing in, in, in reaching out and in, in coming alongside women and inviting them to come in. You think about like the, the women's conference that we put on every year is, is a highlight. I hear from women. Like Kim hears from ladies all over northwestern North Dakota who are always having that, put that on their calendar. They're excited about the First Baptist Women's Conference. What if we began praying more earnestly for that? What about, what about the CHB and EMOG groups? What about the children's and youth ministries? Friends, what can God do? What can He do when we pray? Well, I ask you, what can't he do?